Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown and beyond. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. Biden's at it again. 93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob. Tony Kennett from Chalkboard Review in for Casey today. Kevin's here. And yes, 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 we're going to get back to how uh, Diego Morales went on with Tony Katz this morning and just lied out his ass about why he didn't attend the Secretary of State's debate. We'll play you some of that audio and discuss that. And some of the people who are still, 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 Tony, shamelessly trying to defend this guy. And we'll get into why people get so wed to terrible candidates on both sides of the aisle. But first... Joe Biden has this weird thing where he mentions his deceased son all the time. Don't we all? And it's not like a thing where it's something relative to his son. Like if you were, you know, at a at a bridge opening and you know, my son was a great architect and he would have loved this bridge. And it's, you know, it's so sad we lost him. Like, it's not like when he mentions his son, there they are things, his deceased son, there are things that are relative to the point. And I'm wondering, because you are a greater studier and understander of the human mind and psyche than, than I am, is that a thing or is he just like, out in left field on this is it like common that parents who tragically lose children because i can't think of a worse thing to go through but that you mention your deceased child all the time even when it has nothing to do with the thing at hand or is that a him thing so there is a uh, there is an individual at our church who uh, lost a, a lost a child and it was a it was a tragic situation and every year around the time of uh, the, the time when when her their child passed away they are they're bummed about it they are right they, you sure know, they're, understandably they're very heartbroken over it however this definitely does not appear to be that case um, I would chalk a lot of this up to the fact that the president's mental state has deteriorated in such rapid fashion um, and to such a degree that I don't think he genuinely knows very much anymore about his son, which is a horrible thing. That's not something I'm dunking on. That's something that I'm saying is it's 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 horrible. Is it is it a thing? Let me ask you this, because like my grandmother, who was an incredible woman, was one of the most vibrant, healthy people I knew. And then she developed very late in her life, Alzheimer's, dementia. And that's a terrible way to go. But when she was still coherent and mm-hmm. could somewhat function on her own. Now I'm not saying you would like let her drive on her own or anything like that, but right. she would, you know, she could sit, make food, whatever. She would confuse people and mold them together almost like into one person at yeah. times. And maybe I'm even I mean, I'm not explaining that properly, but it, like there were random things from 1952 she would remember and it's like, how did you know that? But then what right. she did the day before you know, it, it, there was nothing. Is this something like that where he's creating an environment by which his son becomes multiple people? Is he fusing them together or is it just 
Well, from what we've gathered, there isn't actually anyone close by that his son could technically be related to to create that kind of neurological cross over where like the circuits are are rerouting themselves in a different direction. From what we understand in, in, in dementia is the, the nylon sheath around neurons becomes like almost dry and cracked, although it's not really dry and cracked. It fades away, becomes brittle. And as those connections start to fizzle out, we have a very limited understanding of dementia in, in some cases because of how complex it is. But in Biden's case, it seems that this this aggressive passion he has towards like sh- shaping all these weird stories are interfering with this dementia com- combining into this weird narrative with his son. I mean, his son's changing who he is all the time. He was confusing. He's confusing Russia for Iraq, and actually, his son died there. But no, his son also died of cancer six months later. And it's this huge mess. And it's really what this does for me is it makes me furious with those who are propping this poor old puppet up in power that really should be at home, sitting there during his healthy years in life. Was he a good man? No. I still don't think that means that he should be led through this torturous existence now where he's propped up for a political bat. It's, yeah. it's horrible. Well, let's play a clip of what we're talking about here. So here he confuses Russia for Iraq and then claims he did that because that's where his son died, as you alluded to. But the only problem is his son did not die in Iraq. His son died of cancer. Listen. And they talk about inflation. You know, we're dealing with it for a whole second. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq and the impact on oil and what Russia's doing. I mean, excuse me, the war in, in Ukraine. And uh, I think in Iraq because that's where my son died. The, uh, because he died. The, uh, but the point is that, uh, you know, that's why it's up. We have the lowest inflation rate of almost any major country in the world. Okay. We've so so, so there, there's no... Your son was not killed in battle. And by the way, maybe you're confusing Ukraine and Iraq because wasn't that long ago Ukraine was Team Saddam Hussein. So maybe that's why you're confusing them. But there's no coalition correlation between these things that you would say, wow, I really understand why you would apply your son to Russia, to Iraq, because these things mold together. The fact of the matter is that Joe Biden, for a long period of his life, was a pathological liar. He lied constantly. He was a vicious racist. Those things were evident in the policy that passed, the way he debated things on the floor in Congress. And so, now that he is deteriorating mentally, we are starting to see his brain attempt to form lies in real time, but no longer have the capacity to do so. So what we see is now, kind of like the curtains pulled back, and we see what is this very feeble, pathetic operation of dishonesty, still trying to chug along like an ancient farm tractor (laughs) in his mind, and instead it's just bumping into walls soundlessly. It's equal parts condemnable and pathetic. All right. uh, Another thing that he does that just infuriates me is when he talks about, brags about lowering the deficit. Now, look, our national debt just eclipsed $31 trillion. And clearly, to the tune of trillions of dollars, we as a nation under Biden are still spending more than we're bringing in. And that is DAFT, D-A-F-T, deficits are future taxes. Someone will eventually pay for this, and we are paying for it all right now in terms of higher prices. We are being taxed, whether you want to call it a tax or whatever. But he brags about this because he spent less or the government spent less than the person did the year before the government did the year before. But if you're still adding to the national debt to the tune of trillions of dollars, 
What difference does it make if it's you know a hundred billion less than the year before? You're still crushing society. Instead of totaling my car this time, I only tore off two <laughs> doors in the windshield. Mother, be proud of me. <laughs> Listen to this, and he does it in that really creepy whisper. It's just gross. Let me say something. I want to point something out. They talk about big spending Democrats. Yeah, I spend a lot of money to do these things, but guess what? I cut the deficit in half. <laughs> Half the federal deficit this year alone, one trillion four hundred dollar reduction, four hundred billion dollars. He sounds like uh, the debt. And okay. last year, right. he, he sounds like Herbert from The Family Guy. <laughs> oh, say there, Chris, I cut the deficit in half just this year. I just, course, it's not true. It's, it's weird. It's it's cringy. Of course, my question is, so I, I have a mortgage on my house, like many other individuals right. do, working on paying that off. If I don't pay off my mortgage, what does the bank do, Rob? Tell me. If I don't pay my it. mortgage, they take the house. Right. Okay. So we are currently in debt, and the debt is climbing astronomically. It is growing larger than even our GDP can begin to pay off the interest payments on that. There's a really interesting study. Uh, uh, James Wesley Rawls has been talking about this since the 90s, what happens when it is evident to the rest of the world that the United States will eventually have to default on that debt? What's going to happen to the U.S. currency? What's going to happen to the country? I have severe concerns about that. That's one of the reasons why I criticize Republican spending as well as Democrat spending. I am bewildered that the president can actually get up in front of the country and give them the whisper all close and then say, I cut it in half! I cut it in half! Uh, it's like, a, it's like a, wait a minute, you've seen the flex tape commercial, haven't you? Where he's like, I just saw this boat in half! And it's like, what is going on? That's what I'm seeing here. All right, let's take a break. Tony Kennett in for Casey today. When we come back, Diego Morales finally popped his head out of whatever hole he'd been hiding in and talked to Tony Katz this morning, and he told a lie of epic proportions that I didn't even think you could make up, and there are still, Tony, people defending this guy. We'll talk about it. Coming up next, 93 WIBC. I think this morning we had the greatest lie ever told in the history of of Indiana politics. I, I don't know for sure yet. We're going to have to go back and really rack the brain. But I think this morning, Diego Morales on with Tony Katz told the greatest lie in Indiana political history. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Tony Kennett from Chalkboard Review in for Casey today. Kevin's here. So we started the show with this, and we're going to play the audio again for you. And Tony, you're kind of the neutral arbiter at all this. October 10th, the night of October 10th, there was indeed a statewide televised debate on PBS in which Dr. Laura Wilson, who is a friend of this radio station, was the moderator, and Jeff Moore, the libertarian, and Destiny Wells, the Democrat, debated, right? That is true. And I they, watched it. And... It was made very clear that Diego Morales was invited to be a part of that debate and declined to participate. Is that also correct? That is very true. Both I did not, his office I, and he personally. Yeah. Uh, so I did not imagining, imagine sitting in my father's living room 
watching Jeff Moore and Destiny Wells debate each other with Laura Wilson as the moderator. That's true. I was not in your father's living room watching this. I was watching Destiny Wells say really awkward weirdo things about abortion from somewhere else. And I was watching... I was watching more be a pretty decent candidate. I was like, all right, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I, I would really like to see a libertarian, a secretary of state saying as the traditional conservative on the air. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to make sure that did indeed happen. And it was, it is, you're a, you're a scholar, you're a writer, you're a broadcaster. It was a totally valid question by Tony Katz to Diego Morales to ask him, why did you not participate in this debate? Absolutely. The same kind of question you would ask Holcomb. Why did he advocate for lockdowns? The same question you would ask of a Democrat. You know, why did you stand behind these certain policies? It's a very fair question to ask. Okay. I want to, and I didn't tell you where to do this because I want to see how easy this is. If you actually are a person who has any idea WTF is going on with you or your campaign. I'm going to ask you a random question and I want you to answer, okay? You got it. All right. And you will, and I know this is going to, you're going to load doing this, but you are going to play the role of Diego Morales, okay? okay? I'll be Tony Katz. All right. Mr. Morales, you elected not to participate in the debate earlier uh, this past month. Why did you not feel you needed to stand on a stage with your opponents and answer questions for the taxpayers. Here's my answer. Destiny Wells is a pathetic candidate. I don't think Moore is is worth the, the debate. I don't think the debate was worth my time. I would rather spend my time with the Hoosiers around the state of Indiana than on TV preening before a crowd. Okay, perfect. And you just winged that. You pulled that out of your backside. As most things. And he knew he was going to get that question as he's been getting that question. Well, he's not getting it because he doesn't answer questions for the most part. And I think today we learned why he doesn't answer those questions. But that is not what he said at all. Here we go. Unfortunately, no. Here's his answer to why he didn't debate. Of course, a lot was made of the fact that a debate was offered up and you declined uh, to to attend. What was the decision about not attending a debate? Do you feel it hurts you in, in, in this election? You know, first of all, as far as I know, there, there, has, uh, there hasn't been a debate uh, for six. There has been no debate. That was his answer. The debate that you and I and hundreds of thousands of other people watched across this state in which we know Jeff Moore and Destiny Wells are not holograms, nor is Dr. Laura Wilson. They were there. His answer to you is not the answer you gave, not that I didn't think it was worth my time, not that I I get more votes being out campaigning somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's the debate didn't happen. Now, let's address the common response to this that I've seen from even, you know, a lot of my followers also in the Hoosier State this morning. They've said, well, actually, he was saying that that, well, he, he was really saying that there's there's not really a debate for any other position. There never has really been a debate for other state offices. So therefore, he would rather spend his time crisscrossing the counties. And I would be OK with that answer. It's a weak political answer. It's a weak answer, but it is an answer. That's not what he did. Three times during that segment, Tony Katz handed him the ladder to say, please God in heaven, tell me you are not trying to say that there was no debate. And Diego slapped the ladder away and either refused to answer the question or just flat out told him, no, there was no debate. If this was just a one and done thing, yeah, we could play the 3D land chess candy land shoots and ladders. That's fine. All right. If you want to say something didn't happen, Fetterman's over there. But in this case, he did answer, there's no debate. And then he kind of tries to back it up and call He's like, well, he has a Hispanic accent, so he didn't really understand what he's saying. Uh, first of all, no, that's not, <laughs> just because someone has an accent doesn't mean they didn't understand the question. That's not how Hispanic people work. Kind of a weird thing to suggest. He, he made a boo-boo. 
He made a boo-boo. It's okay. We can all admit together. He made a boo-boo. It's all right. <laughs> You're not going to like lose points for saying that he goofed. But but, but, but he's, he's gaslighting people, right? And this is what we talk about when Todd Young goes out and says, well, the Biden administration's spending is out of control. What about your spending? Well, it was smart spending. Like You're, you're gaslighting people. And I know some, there are some in our audience who get tired of me barking on these two guys and beating on these two guys. And look, after Tuesday, when they both likely win their elections, we'll be done with it for a while. But in the meantime, we have an obligation, especially as it relates to Diego, because the Secretary of State is the office that nobody talks about until now that is arguably next to the governor's office, the most important office in the entire state of Indiana. It controls everything from elections to business licensure. And this guy who isn't qualified to run a lemonade stand, who is shifty and shady about all sorts of things, once again proved to you why you can't trust him. He's lying about whether there was even a debate, Tony. Now, you're you're the libertarian. You know, this is common knowledge. Why do you're... I get labeled as this? Anyway, so you're the libertarian. I'm a Republican guy. in good standing. Anywho, so as as the as the constituent libertarian, this is your reasoning. I have a different reason for for coming out and saying personally this is why I don't like him. I want better Republican candidates. I'm a traditional conservative. Okay. I grew up doing very conservative activism things. I've always been a conservative in a lot of different ways and I just want better candidates please I don't want Nikki Haley I want DeSantis I don't want Diego Morales I thought Chelton was good because he again he had a reason why he's he's reformed what he's doing why I thought it was good that is why I have liked certain Republican candidates throughout my time working through politics. I don't think Diego fits it. This is why I tell Republicans, give me better people in the primaries than this absolute used car salesman that we have. The radio broadcasters are not bad guys or not the villains. I mean, you should- Oh, I'm a bad guy and a villain. Sure, yeah. yeah. Show up outside my house. Yeah. (laughs) For telling you blatantly obvious things. Like, what, what am I supposed to do with this information when this guy comes on the radio station I work at and blatantly lies about something that's obvious. It's not like we're saying, well, he has this opinion on how many days early voting should be, which he totally flip-flopped on that, by the way. Again, you can't trust him. But it's not like it's a policy disagreement. No. It's it's you're lying about like a definitive fact that there was a debate. But the beautiful thing was that Right after we had that segment, we went to commercial break and his ad played on the air. Yes. <laughs> Think about that. He's paying exorbitant amounts of Diego money. Diego Morales is the trustworthy and honest candidate <laughs> who did not just lie to Tony Katz a few hours earlier this morning, paid for by Diego Morales. Just, just, a, just ask yourself this question. Even if you accept the fact, and then we'll get to a break. Even if you accept that that, that was his answer that, well, there's never been a debate for this before. He's paying hundreds of thousands of dollars based on his campaign finance reports to buy time, whether it's here or various other television and radio outlets across the state to deliver a message. Public broadcasting offered him a one-hour forum for free, free statewide TV, and he said no. And it's not exactly like he had tough candidates. All he had to do was right. get up there and like just, just uh, this is a metaphor. All he had to do was get up there, get out the rubber chicken, and just smack Destiny Wells with it for her abortion takes. He, he just stands up and does that for an hour and he walks away a winner. That's all he had to focus on. It's, and it's, he didn't do it. It's it's absolutely uh, it's absolutely pathetic. But uh, he'll still probably win because enough people will probably straight ticket Republican vote. And you get the government you deserve. All right, voicemails coming up next. Kendall and Casey Show, 93 W. IBC.
Alright, this is the portion of the show where we turn it over to you. 317-684-8444 is the phone number. 317-684-8444. I'm Rob Kendall. Tony Kennett from Chalkboard Review in for Casey Today. Kevin's here. So yesterday, Tony, we were talking about how the Supreme Court, and this is right up your alley, heard arguments on the affirmative action case is plural involving specifically North Carolina and Harvard and I will turn this over to you before we play a voicemail that we have on this that it is I've never understood how it is okay to say I'm giving preferential treatment to someone because of their race not only because that's wrong but you're also punishing other people because of their race and yet in the field of education higher education apparently this is just fine it absolutely does violate the Civil Rights Act. It does. It just, in any way, case, or form, it is completely wrong to give anyone preferential or deferential treatment because of their race. It's just the way it is. Ethnicity should never play into any kind of a decision, especially when public dollars are involved, because I'm not going to be rubber stamping racism with my tax dollars. It's just not going to happen. Penalizing Asian people because, by average, uh, their kids are successful in college is very weird. I think that's wrong. Just like we should not be giving someone a boost because their I mean, it, it's individual decisions and individual experiences which shape an individual. We actually find that it's more likely that the parenting situation you have at home, whether you have two parents in the home, the economic situation of your parents, that's going to have a far greater impact by probably about a factor of three or four based on the recent data from Brookings. Far more than your race, you know, than the count of melanin in your skin and the shape of your eyes. Well, this is ridiculous. Well, and the interesting thing about this, at least in these cases, it appeared that Asian students, it's not like it's a predominantly white students who are being affected by this. The crux of these cases is Asian students, also minorities, are the ones being negatively impacted. This does cut very much against the idea that the United States is a white supremacist country because therefore we should expect to see white people, again, whatever the heck that means, but white people is this big blocky blob, um, or mutts as I call them, and, and very proudly a mutt myself, you know, like are at the top no, 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 no. It seems that Asians are high up in this area and also in other areas and in the middle class, lower income class, as far as income are concerned, you see Hispanics topping the charts in some regions because of extreme amounts of entrepreneurship that a lot of individuals that are from the immigrant community bring in coming to this country, seeking the Abrahamic American dream. It doesn't fit the narrative. So we're going to punish. We think we're punishing white people, but actually you're punishing just people in general, and they deserve every bit of scorn that they're getting for this kind of tripe. All right. I uh, got a phone call about somebody who was negative, negatively impacted by affirmative action. Take a listen. Hey, Rob. This is Nelson. I'm a regular uh, listener on South Atlanta, Indianapolis. And uh, thank you for bringing up the information about the uh, Supreme Court and the affirmative action. I, I think if you did the open phone lines, you get a lot of people like me calling in about how affirmative action... Uh, basically changed our lives. Uh, I'll just say in my case, I I was uh, going to Michigan State University uh, looking to be a high school teacher and uh, drama and music choir band. Uh, I mean, I did the general ed and everything. I got two years under my belt, went to apply for the College of Education, and they told me, I'm sorry, if you were black, you would be allowed in before you because you are white. They said, you're going to have to choose a different college. We're very, they're very few spots. So, not sure that would you. It changed my life. 
Now, look, I was not a person who explored academic excellence or, you know, prioritized it. I was because I am just naturally very gifted on the dean's oh, list at IUP, so IUPUI, but I was not someone who took my studies serious, say, to the level of you. That's why I'm a general studies major and you're a rocket scientist. Um, but if you were someone who did take a field of academic study super serious and you wanted to be a specific thing, it would be crushing to be told you can't do this because someone else is getting it because of the color of their skin. So it's interesting. When I was the science uh, director over at Indianapolis Public Schools, uh, I had a very weird experience with one of the STEM groups we were working at. I was supposed to design these STEM programs that favored getting uh, more girls into the program, which is fine. Only the district schools only had enough money to fund a certain number of students in the STEM programs, which means this, if we had to start using quotas to get a certain number of girls in the program, then that meant at some point boys would be shut out of the program. Like, let's say there's we have 20 STEM slots open. We have to have 10 girls and 10 guys in the program for equity's sake. Then we would be forced to take the 11th and the 12th boy applicants who may, do, may want to do STEM and robotics just as much as the other 10 guys they would not be allowed to participate in the program. Any kind of race or sex-based quotas always work out negatively. We've seen this all throughout human history. It is a great way to shut down great talent. I, I don't care what color my pilot is. I just want them to fly the plane. Right. No. And, right. And, well, and let me ask you this, because you obviously made uh, national news because you had a great job and you uh, came out and spoke out about things that were going on with your employer. And now you get to hang out with us all the time. So it worked out perfectly for you. But were other teachers, when they would see things like this, speaking out even internally against this? Or was it a thing where everybody just kind of went along and said, well, this is what the superintendent says, or this is what the principal says, and we must do this because, well, I need a job. Like, How did the internal debates or discussions go if there were any? This is always the, the weird thing to be a part of. I've sat in on a lot of these internal discussions. Once at Indianapolis Public Schools, I got to watch the other curriculum coordinators that were directing curriculum uh, argue for about an hour as to whether gay individuals or black individuals in Indianapolis Public Schools were more discriminated against for an hour. And I have this on recording. And if you are one of those <laughs> staff members, I have never released this recording of us all talking about that. But I will tell you that some of us in the staff, uh, those of us that had, you know, active frontal lobes, uh, we sat there and cackled for an hour watching you guys talk about who was more oppressed. These conversations happen all the time. These college elite individuals are so intelligent and they know more than you do and they have to convince you. We cannot let more Asians into the school, Willifrey. It's pathetic. It is the most low-T way of running a school I have ever seen. <laughs> all right. Uh, so yesterday we played a guy who was irate that we had the audacity to play Warren Zevon on this radio station and then talk about what a gifted songwriter he was and how underappreciated he was and how everyone should listen and embrace Warren Zevon music. And he went on some rant, somehow Todd Rundgren, Rundgren got drawn into it. And, you know, we had kind of posed the question, Tony, what must be going on in your life that someone making a statement about I really like this guy's music and I think more people would also like it if they knew more about him would enrage you to the point not well, one would enrage you period but two you would call a radio station and rant about that 
there clearly is something going on in that person's existence. I just, I have concerns, man. I, sometimes you tell me stories and I, I just sit here and I, I again, remember earlier yeah. in the show, you said it's very rarely that you're left speechless. Right. This is one of those times for me. Uh, I know a lot of people who like a lot of very interesting things yeah. in, in the music sense. I happen to like Young Gravy. He is a young rapper that I rather who? enjoy. Yeah, Y-U-N-G uh-huh. Gravy, like, you know, this, the sauce. This, this seems like the sort of person Kevin would know all about. Do you know about Young Gravy? I, I've definitely heard of him. So, for example, he has a remix of a song that I love by Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up, the uh-huh. classic Rick Roll song. Sure. Sure. He has a remix of that released this summer. It's, it's very good. I personally enjoy it. I think it's a good tune. It's something that I enjoy. I can't imagine calling a radio station and yelling at someone about music. I can't. I, I'm a musician myself. I, I do jazz vocals and piano, and I have never once yelled at someone yeah. about music. I just, it, that blows my mind. Well, look, I bring out the worst in people, and I understand that. Well, that it's is a, true. It's a real gift. I, but I, I have... I, but I didn't think, like, Warren Zevon would be the thing, and so we got another call from a guy who it starts out pretty good, and then it, again... Like, what is the deal with you people and being this enraged about who somebody likes in terms of music? Go. You know, the thing I don't understand about the Warren Seafun guy is that Warren Seafun is a great, talented man. He wasn't that outspoken politically or that obnoxious. He wasn't a Taylor Swift. He wasn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, Neil Young or somebody like that. The real sin that Rob has committed, in my view, is the Bruce Springsteen fanboying. Uh, because Bruce Springsteen is like the most lefty, obnoxious guy there is. You know, uh, people misinterpret his songs as being these like patriotic songs, but really they're more like, uh, uh, you know, being down on America type of thing and whining about how horrible it is here. Uh, he's one of these, you know, silver spoon rock star guys who says, my daddy was a union worker, so that makes me working class and a regular Joe just like you. While uh, while Ticketmaster is charging thousands of dollars for tickets to his concert, and I know that's an old controversy, but my God, the guy Springsteen is insufferable, and the I just had to share that with you guys. The irony of being mad about Warren Zevon when Bruce Springsteen exists. Thanks. It's I, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you're this guy's mad about Warren Zevon, and so I'm going to okay. launch into another guy so, that you like. Do you know the song? Uh, every is from the '80s. Everybody wants to rule the yes, world. Tears yeah. for fears. Tears for fears. Excellent. Yes. Originally, it was supposed to be everybody wants to go to war. That was how it was originally yeah. written. It was an anti-war song, and yet it ended up being the theme song that a lot of guys had playing in the helicopter during the Gulf War. Yeah. So, like there, there's a lot of war stories about that. There's actually like a, a joke, a joke video on YouTube where like uh, some guy puts like some background radio noises on uh, for the army and then plays that song over. It's really funny and a lot of old war stories about that. It's a song that doesn't fit. You know, there's there's right. that irony of, oh, it was written. So was, again, Fortunate Son was written as a criticism of the U.S. industrial military complex and guys are playing it, you know, over in Vietnam. Right. It, it, it's music. Get over it. I just, it's just Kevin, you're the musician. Do, do people send Uno Gold? hate mail about you know something you guys do or is this just something that I'm I'm blessed with do Uno Gold fans get berated by people for liking Uno Gold I mean, what, uh, well, what, we're not there yet but what is maybe going, at some point what, like Wait a minute. Does he like Uno Gold? I've, I've heard this. This now is a Kevin's times. band. Kevin has a band. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uno Gold. Uno, Uno, I, I Uno Gold I kept on Instagram. thinking about this is, was like, you guys were talking about a card game, and I'm like running through my head all of like the games, and I'm like, we get that a lot. I've, I play Uno. I've never played Uno Gold. Oh, yeah, I forgot that you, you have a band. That's right. Uno.gold on Instagram. We'll take a break. Hammer joins us next. Tony Kennett in for Casey on 93 WIBC.
93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob. Tony Kennett's here. Kevin's here. Hammer, hello. How are you gentlemen doing today? Stellar. Regular sausage fest in this studio today. we got three dudes, not a chick to be found. Looks like the bad fraternity in every single college campus right now. You know, I was thinking about you this morning. That's a bad way to answer well, the just, question. I, just, I, was <laughs> I was in the shower. <laughs> I was halfway through it. I realized what you just said. And then I thought, because I had planned where the I wanted to go. The soap was running down the crack of my butt. And I thought, hammer. Uh, because your team... <laughs> Your Tennessee Vols are number one in the new rankings, the first rankings for the college football playoff. And it has been a uh, my entire time I've known you, it's been basically suffering for you with Tennessee football. It has. And it's great to be there. But is it going to be short lived? That's the question, because when you look at the uh, polls of college football, a lot of these teams that are in the top six, it's like a round robin right, almost. They sure. have to play each other. So Michigan and Ohio State will play each other at the end of the year. And this Saturday, Tennessee goes down to Georgia. And Georgia is an eight-point favorite in their home stadium against Tennessee. So, you know, there's a lot of football still to be played. But to be back, so to speak, it's nice. You know, college football and football in general this year, because I guess it's true for the pros as well. It's like Notre Dame, for an example. They have lost to a couple schools this year that I didn't even know had a football team. And then they've beat the number 16 team twice and the number 17 team. How do you lose to Marshall and then beat the number 16 team twice? Uh, I just think football's, there's a lot of parity in football right now. There is. There's like three or four really good teams, right? Like Ohio State, Georgia, Tennessee, you know, Michigan, Alabama. I put them kind of separate. Now, there's some other teams with one losses, fine. Clemson's unbeaten, but I don't think anybody's scared of the ACC champion. I wouldn't be shocked if your Irish pulled the upset off. I hope so. Uh, but first, know, first three loss team to ever get in the playoff. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? I can hear the gnashing of teeth from here. Notre Dame with three losses. Three SEC schools in Notre Dame. <laughs> it's, it's what the people would have wanted. <laughs> but, man, yeah, this is a big weekend, though. Uh, Irish and Clemson, I believe. And then, of course, Tennessee and Georgia, Bama and LSU. College football. And don't forget about the NFL, too, because NFL is crazy. Yeah. You look at the amount of Vegas underdogs that have won this year, and the dogs are rolling. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Abdul uh, is in some sort of league where he has to pick three winners each week, and of course, he he has he may think Charlie Brown is right. you know, on one of the teams. He so. picked the Judge in week one, <laughs> so so he asks you and me and a couple other people, and then I think he tries to get a consensus. And last year, I mean, it's like pretty obvious. Like in the past, if the Bucks are playing the Falcons in the years past, well, that's a that's a home run. Or if the Texans are playing the Colts or who you know whoever, it's pretty simple, right? The better teams are only going to win. But this year, it seems like there's. I mean, I'm not even talking the spread. We're talking like straight. Who's going to win the game? There's games like when the Jets beat the Packers. Who saw that coming? And look what happened just past Monday night on Halloween. Cincinnati was a favorite going into Cleveland. Cleveland beat the hell out of them. Oh, it wasn't even... It, I, I watched the highlights from that, and I, I got, like, secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> so, man, it's crazy. And this is why sports betting is so hard. Yeah. Because there's so much parity involved. But I do have a winning record. Oh, yeah. In college and NFL on all Indiana bets. You know when sports betting is not hard is when Rob Kendall is your guest picker and tells you, take Matt. 
Max Homa in the Gulf. That's when it's not hard. I made some money on the Phillies last night. A little baseball action. Let's go. Uh, so this is a big anniversary, speaking of the World Series. Six years ago today, the Cubs did the impossible. So Game 7 was six years ago on this very date. And that was the greatest sports joy I've ever had in my life. I've seen a Cubs super. Uh, I'm sorry. I've seen a Colts Super Bowl. I've seen the Indiana Hoosiers win the basketball championship. I saw the Tennessee Volunteers in 1998 win the first, you know, BCS football championship. Those are pretty cool things that have happened in my lifetime. But that Cubs World Series was different because that's a lot of family in yep. there, folks like my grandpa who never got a chance to see that and got me involved in it when I was watching it when I was a kid, and it was. So such a amazing game seven. They got out to a great start. You think, oh my God, this is it. And then they blow it. And every Cub fan thinks, this is it. This is going to be my Bartman moment. This is going to be the Black Cat moment, the Leon Durham moment. <laughs> this is it. Another one. And then the rain delay, nobody thinks they're going to win after that. And Jason Hayward stands up like Bluto in Animal House <laughs> and says, hey, what's this lying around, Blank? And the troops rally and Zobrist and Rizzo and Bryant and company they pulled it off i had grown-ass man tears that night yeah i uh, you know they paid jason hayward about 160 million dollars for that one speech and i think most cubs fans would say totally worth it. worth every penny all the strikeouts that's worth every penny we got about a minute left here I have no interest in the colts now because i'm sick of seeing coordinators get fired i'm sick of seeing players get traded why do Frank Reich and Ballard keep getting a pass? They are the common thread the past five years. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know. And you make an interesting point. Like, a lot of people are just bored with yeah. this team. There's a Colts and Patriots game this weekend. Nobody's talking about it. Right. That used to be, be like the, the, the yeah. weekend. I'd, you'd, I'd go to church that Sunday and we'd all like argue and fight about it because we had the Pats fans <laughs> that also were at our team. But I mean, it was just like, it was gross. And now but the good kind of gross. You know, Manning versus Brady, Dungy, Belichick, and now you've got Sam Ellinger against Mac Jones. Yippee. Good times. What's coming up this afternoon? <laughs> uh, the Tonus is going to come by. We'll do our usual uh, Wednesday hit. The crazy coupon lady and the biggest stories of the day. It's the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC.